0: Well, good morning, friends. You know, welcome to Evangel. If you are a guest here, or maybe you're a first-time visitor, we're glad you're here this morning. Uh, you know, we did a survey in December of this year just to get to know our, our this great group of believers. Uh, we're one church, two languages, three locations, and four services. And in those one church, two languages, three locations, four services, we have over eighty-three nationalities now in this church. Can you imagine that? We are, last time we did this, it was 70-some, but we're over 83 nationalities in this church. It's incredible how diverse this community is. What a blessing uh, it is. I always think of this. Uh, there's a great scripture in the book of Revelations that talks about someday when we're in heaven and we're all gathered together, and it says there will be people from every tribe and nation. I always feel like this is just a little picture of what heaven's going to be like, just a little picture snapshot of the diversity and the beauty of what we get to enjoy uh, forever together with God. It's going to be amazing. But before we get there, a couple of announcements. Our ushers are going to be prepared to serve you with our, our, our offering in just a moment. But if you received a bulletin on the way in, I wonder if you just open it up. Uh, I'm going to show you a couple of uh, features in the bulletin here that I'd love you to take note of. First off, there's an article talking, and you're going to see in two weeks' time, our new magazine will be coming out on February 1st, and it'll highlight more of that. But Life Groups and Life Pods that we're launching in 2015. Quite excited about how many of you want to be involved in small groups, and we're looking to... Across the whole entire uh, city, so I would welcome your participation in that. But maybe give that article a brief read. Then, two things there's a lift uh, coming up this coming Friday night at seven o'clock. And maybe you've never been to a lift, and I want to invite you to come to this one. It's a special lift. Uh, event We're calling it a consecration time. And what it, that really means is it's an old school theological term for meaning a time of dedication. And we want to invite you to uh, come on Friday night at 7 o'clock at 2154 St. Catherine Street West, our lighthouse campus. And there we're going to have a time where we're going to just pray blessing over families and individuals for 2015. How many would love just God's blessing going into 2015? Well, our elders and ministries team, we're going to be praying not only in prayer dedication but we're going to be praying over everybody that comes just that god would bless them right into this new year and what god has for you in 2015 It's going to be a great evening come seven o'clock this coming friday night at the lighthouse and then on february 1st sunday at 9 30 a.m at the lighthouse i'm teaching a baptismal class Uh, Some of you saw our baptismal video online of our last one. It was so significant, and we're trusting on February 22nd when we do our next one, it'll be equally wonderful. But if you've ever thought about being baptized and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, we would invite you to come on Sunday at 9.30 a.m. to meet me. I'm going to be teaching a little baptismal class. Just tell you a little bit of what it means yeah, just because you come to the class doesn't mean you have to be baptized. You might just come and want to learn more. So come at nine thirty. Register at the Get Connected desk when you leave here, and just say, "Listen, I want to, uh, I want to be at that baptismal class." So you can do that on on your way out. So that's great for the announcements. Are you good? We're going to take up the offering. i going to invite the ushers to go ahead and serve you. Thank you for your faithfulness, friends. Uh, so many of you uh, give electronically now, and I just honor those who, who do. I'm thankful for that. Many of you give in person. That's the easiest way to give here, probably. Uh, but uh, text messaging giving is really taken off, and that's, that's very easy. I give often that way. Uh, but uh, electronically through your bank or even our debit machine in the lobby, thank you for your faithfulness to the work of God. Uh, we're not funded by a government organization. It's you who participate in our gatherings that say we want to be a part of this by sharing in uh, the, the joy of supporting what God is doing in this city through this church. Well, if you have a Bible... I'd invite you to turn to John chapter 6. And in preparation and throughout this series, we've been doing water walkers. We've highlighted different videos of individuals in our congregation. and. Two weeks ago, we, we had a little uh, video uh, testimony from a man named Chad Laprise, who is the Canadian UFC champion. He, he uh, attends our church, and his story was shared. Last week was Richard Morsink, a businessman uh, for over 30 years, who talked about the ups and downs. And today, I'm gonna, we're going to interview, and you're going to see a video of a woman who's been a part of this congregation since 1935. That's 80 years this year. 80 years she's been a part of this congregation because I wanted to interview somebody who had uh, a story of longevity in focusing on Jesus and growing in her faith. So enjoy the video. I'm closer to you, but I feel like I'm so far away Cause I my let my fear, my fear get in front of my face You know, I thought of uh, interviewing one of my favorite people here at Evangel, Norma Griffith. And (laughs) Norma's been a part of our church since 1935. You can do the math on your own. Uh, But I wanted to interview somebody who's experienced life's ups and downs and have a a track record of faith with God. Because uh, all of us go through difficult times. Um, But the fact that we can stay focused on Jesus and find hope in the middle of those is so critical. So Norma, thank you for joining me Uh and uh, being a part of this conversation. (laughs) So why don't we start with just uh, telling people how you came to Christ?
1: I was brought up in a Christian home where mother and dad loved the Lord. And I went to Sunday school and church since I was a little girl, very little. And as I grew up, I believed what I was taught from the Bible. So I have no date to put down where I can say, that's when I accepted the Lord because I always accepted Him.
0: So you grew right into faith. I grew,
1: that's right. you yeah. grew right in.
0: So uh, you've you've been around a little while. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> during that time, I know there must be, you've seen a lot of change mm-hmm. uh, in society, culture, even the church. You see a lot of change, and you've experienced some difficulties in life. How have you stayed focused on Jesus through all that change and difficulty?
1: Well. Getting into the Word of God has been really the root of, I would say, success and any growth. Right. And reading the Scripture and knowing that God, your Creator, knows all about you and nothing happens in good luck or bad luck as a child of God, it's His will. Right. And believing on the Lord Jesus Christ and knowing that He loves me and He cares for me, that's
0: stability. Right. And God's Word is a is what feeds that in you. That's right, that's so, right. So when do you read God's Word?
1: I read it before I go to bed at night.
0: And that's a habit you develop?
1: Yes, yes. So, it, so
0: much of reading God's Word is a habit, right? That's I, right. Uh, you know, I know because we've talked many times over the last five to six years the priority of Scripture in mm-hmm. your life mm-hmm. because I think you would say this has really fueled a strength of your faith in life.
1: When you ask, uh, when you want somebody to grow in knowledge of Jesus Christ and uh, uh, and uh, grow in their faith in the Lord, you've got to have a root system, and that's the Scripture. Oh, that's That's good. getting to know the Scripture and memorizing it, and it'll help you.
0: That's really good. Yeah,
1: it'll help you daily, day by day.
0: Well, speaking of Scripture, the Apostle Paul <clears throat> writes, and he says this, for in him every one of God's promises is yes. And, and if that's true, which I do believe it is, Christians should be the most hope-filled people walking this planet. Right. But uh, Norma, I think you understand, you're talking to people uh, this morning, some of them are young people under a lot of pressure in this culture and world. Uh, some are trying to raise kids and it's difficult. Some are trying to keep a marriage together Some are just trying to put one foot in front of the the other financially in life. How are you able to fuel hope uh, when you've been tested, when it's been tough?
1: Well, when things of this world come, and it's not very pleasant sometimes, God hasn't changed. So Mm. that's my anchor. Mm. Will your anchor hold, as the scripture says? Mm. Yes, it does hold. And... When we read in the scripture about different people that have had problems, boy, do they have problems, but they stay true to the Lord. And David wrote the Psalms under pressure, under death threats, didn't change him, he loved the Lord. And the acclamation that God gave him was that he was a man after God's own heart.
0: Yeah, despite even his own failings in life. That's right. So I I love Norma, and Norma's been with us for quite a season, but she's been in God for quite a season, uh, long enough to have experienced what many of us have in this room. Uh, Some rough times, right? Some some, uh, unpredictable storms that have happened in our life, and yet we're talking about focusing on Jesus in the middle of these storms as part of our Water Walker series. Here's the thing, I, why I ask you to turn to John chapter 6 is because it's a portion of scripture where it gives the account of Jesus walking on water, but it's the only time in the gospel that it gives the account of Jesus walking on water and it doesn't mention Peter. Now, Peter's important to our narrative because we can relate to Peter, can't we? Can you relate to somebody who's bold and goes out there and fails? <laughs> I, I, I can, but I, in this moment, we're going to refocus midway through this series to say let's focus right on the, thi- on the person that's standing right in front of us, the most obvious person in the text, but we can miss him sometimes because our focus is on the boat, the focus is on Peter and what he did. We're going to focus on Jesus now. So John chapter 6, reading in verse 16, I'm going to read the passage for you. You can follow along on the screen with me. Here we go. When evening came, his disciples went down to the lake, When they got into a boat and set off into the lake of Capernaum, by now it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them. A strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on water, and they were frightened. But he said to them, It is I. Don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were headed. Now, every one of the miracles that Jesus performs in Scripture reveals something of him, who he is. And this one certainly does. And we're going to look at three aspects. We're talking about focusing on Jesus when everything else is trying to demand and clamor for your focus. So here are three thoughts that come from the story that we're going to anchor down. The first is this, that Jesus is an uncontrollable force. You cannot tame him. He is an uncontrollable force. To understand the whole story, you almost have to rewind, though. So the pages or the verses just before Jesus walks on water, there's another miracle that happens. Jesus feeds the 5,000. So this is a great story. Jesus is teaching them in the middle of the wilderness, and he sees that they're hungry, and there's no takeout, and no McDonald's there, and there's no stores to buy anything, and besides, do you have enough spare cash on you for 5,000 people plus? And instead, he takes the loaves and the fishes, and he feeds 5,000 people. It's an incredible miracle. To understand what's fully going on here, what, what other moment in the Old Testament, because remember, all the people that were being fed that day were Jewish, and they were steeped in the Old Testament. Is there somebody else you can think of in the Old Testament who fed people in the wilderness? Huh? Moses. Anyone heard of Moses? I found a photo of him, an old photo. Just see who he is. I'm going to take this mic off and go with this one, guys. How's that? Is that all right? That sounds really like it's going through one monitor, barely. Can you hear me at the back? This is really great for the flow of the service. Uh, Maybe I'll go back to my mic then, and we'll try that again. Uh, Feeding of the 5,000 people, and the key to understanding that story is the fact that they thought, hey, we remember a guy named Moses. You remember Moses? He led us. He was one of the greatest leaders in our history, he led us out of oppression. Who, who was oppressing the people of God during that season? Pharaoh, the Egyptians. And so he led them out of, the de- out of, uh, out of captivity of the promised land. So in the, against the backdrop of all of that, they start thinking, we know who Jesus is. In fact, it says in, in John chapter 6, in those preceding verses, it says this. After the people saw the sign Jesus performed... Feeding 5,000 people. They began to say, surely this is a prophet who's come into the world. Jesus, knowing that they intended to come to him, come to come and make him king by force, withdrew again to the mountain by himself. Now here's what this is saying. They see him feed 5,000 people and they go, now here's a man with real power. Real power. We're under oppression just like the people of God were centuries before we're not under pharaoh we're under rome we need a deliverer god sent moses in the old days gone by now here's a new moses and he's just fed us and now he's going to lead us out of oppression and what does jesus do he withdraws to the mountain it says and he sends his disciples out on the water why is jesus not eager to be crowned king here Because Jesus didn't come to just deliver Israel from their economic, their political, their social problems, as difficult as they may have been. For what good would it be to us in 2015 in Montreal had God delivered them that way? Well, not much. It might be an old story we could look back and find some encouragement from, but what does it mean to us personally, practically today? But Jesus comes and he's playing the long game here. (laughs) Because he came, and we know he's often described in Scripture as the bread of heaven. And he comes, and he's broken so we can be made whole. He comes to deliver eternal life, deliverance from sin, deliverance from death. He comes to bring life itself. Jesus comes to deal with the problem, not just any problem. He comes to the problem of which all of society... And all the brokenness in politics and, and economically in life, all of that comes from sin, and he came to deal with that that each of our lives. Can we try just even another microphone? Should we try it? To... Can we try this one again? or no? No. OK. Sorry, friends.: Thanks, Pastor Joe. Now, here we, there we go. Is that OK? You know, sometimes there are storms and sound systems and you just got to deal with it. And... Yeah. Well, the, the, the problem is the bread, of, the bread miracle gets their attention on Jesus' power and they think, how can we use this? How can we use this power for our agenda? We have a need, it's a legitimate need. We have a legitimate need. How do we get God in on this? How do we get Jesus, this powerful leader, in on this? We'll make him our king. And Jesus says... Mm, not now. And in fact, it says he goes out, he retreats to the mountain, they go out on the water, a storm happens, and Jesus walks towards the water. And as he's approaching the boat in the water, they're nervous, they're scared. But I love the word that John uses for walking, because it's not a typical word for walking that's used. Uh, normally, there are a number of Greek words, the New Testament's written in Greek, for the word walking. And I always imagine Jesus kind of treading and sloshing through the water, trying to get to them. Sometimes they even thought maybe just hovering above the water. But the word that John uses was very interesting for walking in the Greek, means to stroll. It's kind of like sightseeing. It's as if Jesus is kind of walking on water, you know, whistling as he goes. Un, uh, unhindered, undisturbed at all by the weather around him. And in fact, it's kind of interesting. There are two storms that Jesus gets caught in on the New Testament, isn't there? One of them, he's in the boat with his disciples, and they're terrified. They're scared for their lives. And what does he do? He speaks, and the winds stop. And in this one, He's casually strolling through it. You know what that shows us? That shows that the most incredible powers here on earth, of which a storm in the water would have been, that storm, he had complete control over it, and it had no control over him. It's incredible. The uncontrollable force and the power that is demonstrated in Jesus Christ. Jesus is not some kind of Moses. He's the God of Moses. Jesus is saying, I'm the one with infinite power. You cannot control me. You cannot use me as an ends to your means. You cannot make me do what you need me to do. You can't make me a part of your agenda. I have a whole new agenda, and I'm the one bringing the agenda. I'm the one chairing the meeting, not you. You're here at my invitation, but I'm the one chairing the agenda. And friends, practically speaking, this is important for us to nail down because there's a lot of theology that flows around this idea of you controlling God. A lot of theology that talks about you saying things certain way and doing things certain way, and then God has to do what you want him to do. Oh, but Jesus reminds us over and over in the pages of Scripture, he is an uncontrollable force. You cannot tame him. You cannot tame him. Don't let his gentleness and his meekness and his approachability confuse you for the fact that he is powerful and awesome and to be revered. So don't let that gentleness make you think you can use him. There's a strength to Jesus. I was thinking of this uh, earlier this week. There's a great theologian, John Getzner. He's dead now. He's gone. But he used to tell a story about a woman who, uh, this is going way back, like way back in history. She wanted to be a missionary, and back in that day, you couldn't go on the mission field as a single woman. And all the women in the room said, "Uh," you know, and so she thought, hey, you know what? I'm going to train to be a missionary because I'm going to give my life to the mission field. And God is a great God. He can provide a husband for me. I mean, how hard is that? Anyway. And so, so she, got, she goes through all the training. On the eve of her graduation, still no husband. And no prospect of a husband. And in fact, in her own words, she was bitter and angry. God, I've done this for you. And you've not provided what I was supposed to have. And she instantly said, I realized in that moment that I've been using God. I've been using him. I've been basically saying, if you do this, I'll give you this. Friends, whatever's on the other side of your, if you do this, God, or as long as this, whatever's on the other side of your if and your long as, that's your real God, friends. That's the one that has power over you. If God, if you do this, I'll serve you. Well, whatever that if is, that's what you serve. That's your God. That's the thing that actually has control over you. And Jesus won't be controlled. And in fact, that night, this woman is confronted with this reality, and it was in that moment she prayed. She said, God, I'm taking my hands off my life, and I'm going to let you truly be my guide in life because the ifs and the along as is our attempt to control God. But Jesus, he's an uncontrollable force, friends. Uncontrollable force. But here's the beauty of this. It doesn't just stop there. He's not just this uncontrollable force. Here's another descriptive word that we see over and over in Scripture. He's your wonderful counselor. He's your wonderful counselor who comes alongside of you. Notice, as usual, Jesus' miracles are not just a display of power, but they reveal something of who he really is. And Jesus is on the mountaintop, and he sees his people struggling in the storm on the water, and he goes to them. No different than when Jesus in heaven looked down and saw us in our storm of sin with no hope in reality, and he left his home in heaven to come here to earth (laughs) to walk towards us so he could get in the boat of our lives with us and journey with us to safety, salvation, and eternal life. John chapter 6, verse 20 says that when he approaches the boat, he says, it is I. Don't, say it with me, be afraid. Say Everybody say that together. Don't, yeah, don't be afraid. The most often repeated command in Scripture from God to his people, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. Friends, sometimes in life, and if you see life as a journey, don't you love those metaphors? What are some of the metaphors for what life can be? Life, life is a box of chocolates, yes. <laughs> Anyone else? Life is a bowl of cherries, you know, or if life gives you lemons, yeah, yeah, all these things that are supposed to encourage us in those moments. But life should be seen more like a journey in the sea, not on land. When storms happen, friends, on land, you can hide in a cave, you can hide under a tree or in a house. If you've ever been a storm on a boat, there's nowhere to hide. There are some storms in life, friends, that you cannot hide from. Bereavement. How do you duck that one? Last time, statistically speaking, one out of every one people die. How do you duck that one? Relational betrayal? Financial difficulty? Illness? I don't care how hard you work or how well you're connected or how smart you might be. How do you avoid all of these things? And when they hit your life, if you don't have shelter, you cannot find shelter in yourself. You need to find shelter from outside of yourself. And in the barren state of being on this ocean, there's one shelter that's available to us, and it's found in Christ. This uncontrollable God, but he's tender. He comes, and I love the fact that he doesn't lecture them when he comes. Don't you love that? Ye of little faith. Guys, what are you crying about, you know? I just fed 5,000 people, and now you're on the water, and you're concerned. What's up with you? I love that he's not like that. Instead, he's described as your friend in Scripture. It is I. Do not be afraid. He comes to them with tenderness. Isn't that amazing? That's how he comes to you, friend. Time and time again, when you fail and fall and everything, he comes back, and he has such tenderness towards you, delight even. Don't worry, guys. It's me. Uh, Don't be afraid. I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. There are two storms in the New Testament. And we need to remember this when we encounter storms in life. The first one, Jesus is in the boat with them, right? And what is he doing? Sleeping. He's sleeping in the boat. And the the seasoned sailors are scared for their lives. The storm's going to, we're going to die. We're going to die. And he wakes up and he looks around. And what does he do? He speaks and it goes quiet, and the water is like glass, and they're in awe. Who who is this that has command over the winds and the waves? And then there's this second storm in Scripture, and Jesus comes towards the boat, and it's a miraculous moment, but notice this. He gets in the boat with them, and he doesn't still the waters. Instead, he journeys to the shore through the storm with them. Friends, in life, sometimes God speaks. And everything gets right. Sometimes Jesus says, no, not this time, kid. I'm getting in the boat with you. And we're going to make it to shore together. And he takes us through the storm. How many, likes, how many of you like option A better? I like option A. How many could see that option A could be addictive? Because once God does something like that, and you don't have to do a thing doesn't that feel good? Here's the thing. A lot of people build a theology around option A. And they don't realize that sometimes God and option B, when he takes us through the storm with him, he gets into the boat with us. That's where some of that character development happens. That's where some of the greatest growth happens in our lives. Talked to a gentleman after our first service, and he's been through three years of this health difficulty. And it was interesting. He said to me, he said, you know what? All I can say is I didn't sign up for this, but he said, I kept saying, this has been wonderful, 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 wonderful. And I said, how can you say that? He said, I've never been closer to God in my entire life. Things, my priorities shifted. Everything seems in order. There's a peace that I have that I can't even describe. Now, that doesn't comfort some of us who are feeling the pain of a difficult storm or anything. But the promise is, Jesus won't leave us. He's your wonderful counselor. He gets in the boat, and he coaches you. And he comes alongside of you, and he encourages you, and he brings peace to you, and he helps you, and he gives you strength. I love the fact in the Bible that it says he gives you daily bread and not yearly bread. Don't you love that? I want yearly bread. I would prefer to have God give me an advance, wouldn't you? Give me advance on all that I'm going to need for the year. But he says, no, I will give you daily bread. And you know what that forces me to do? Trust God. If he gave me yearly bread, I'd trust him once a year. Daily bread, all of a sudden, it's a daily walk of faith. Him in the boat with me, counseling me. So he's an uncontrollable force. He's a wonderful counselor. And here's the last thing. He's a saving king. He's a saving king. It's interesting in the account in Matthew and Mark, the disciples are scared to death seeing Jesus come towards them. And, you know, I guess in part because how many times do you see a guy walking on water, right? In the middle of a storm towards you. Like, a little disconcerting maybe? Rattle you a little bit? Well, it's more than that that's going on here. Because he doesn't just show up and resolve their fears and worries right away. At one level, I think it would be scary. But it's interesting what he says when he approaches the boat. He says this, it is I. Now, again, the Greek really helps you here. Because the words that he, it's not a great translation of the Greek there. The actual thing he actually says in Greek is, I am. So he comes towards the boat, you're in the boat, and he says, I am. Do not be afraid. Think about that, friends. Where would these good Jewish boys in the boat, where would their minds go when they hear, I am? Back to a burning bush. A moment when God called Moses in the middle of the desert. And all of a sudden they realize he's no Moses. He's claiming to be the guy in the bush. When when Moses would call out and say, who do I say is sending me when God told him to go and speak to Pharaoh to set his people free? And God said, tell them I am has sent you. What he's saying is, tell them I. I always am. There will never be a moment that you will be able to say God was because God is. There is never a moment that you'll ever be able to say God will be because God has no beginning. Literally translated, the Hebrew scholars would say I am means this. Tell them that the very existence of life has sent you. Isn't that powerful? Tell them that the very existence of life has sent you. And what's interesting, in John chapter 8, Jesus says, I am. He calls himself, I am. He says, I am before Abraham. And it says they immediately tried to kill him. Now, that's not because he said, I'm older than Abraham. It's because Jesus left them no room. He left them no room to say, oh, Jesus, he's a great teacher. He left them no room for that. He left them no room to say, Jesus is kind of the spark of love that makes the world go round. <laughs> they left them no room for that. He didn't, they didn't leave him, he didn't leave them any room to say, Jesus is that spiritual aura that binds all religions. He left them no room for that because when he said, I am, and they tried to kill him, they knew what he was saying. He was saying, I am infinite, exalted. Exalted. Above all the universe, I am transcendent one who created the world. I am the one who sustains the world. I'm the one without beginning and without end. That's the God. I am the existence of life himself. This is the uncontrollable force of Jesus. And he approaches them, and he says this, and it's scary, friends, because every time in the Old Testament God says, I am, he says, get back. To Moses... Tell him, I am. Take your feet off. This is holy ground. When Moses says, show me your glory, he says, if I showed you my I amness you would die. You couldn't handle it. When Moses comes down from the mountain, don't touch the mountain. Why? Because you cannot handle my I amness my presence, my glory. And so they're terrified in this middle of this. But what's different in the New Testament account is Jesus says, I am come closer. Don't be afraid. Look at me. What's changed? Well, Jesus is on a mission and he never hid that mission. What other Old Testament character would they be thinking of who had been in a storm with terrified sailors? Anyone know? Jonah. Jonah. And in Matthew, I think I believe believe it's the 8th chapter, Jesus says that he's the ultimate Jonah. Here's the story of Jonah in a nutshell. Jonah is called to go to Nineveh and save him, and he won't. So he gets on a boat to run away from God. You ever try to run away from God, friends? Some of you might be trying to run away from God now. Good luck with that. (laughs) But a storm comes, and it's going to take everybody's life. But Jonah says, throw me overboard, and you'll be saved. And Jesus says, I'm the ultimate Jonah in that we were in a storm of which was going to kill us and take our life. And instead, he allowed himself to go over the bow into the wrath of God to pay for our sin, friends, to take care of our greatest problem, to take care of the root of every evil in this world. So that there would be someday a place where there would be no pain, no death, no sickness, no loneliness, no, no, no aloneness ever again. He did that for you. He came to save us from those storms eventually by allowing himself to become the ultimate Jonah. To be thrown into that place of darkness so that we could find a place of life. Think about it, friends. They just think about that. I was writing this message this last week, and I stopped, and I said to my wife, Shelley, it was Monday, and I am finished the message, and, I'm, and I, I don't often get it done in one day, but it just came together, and I'm sitting there, and I said to Shelly, I want to say this, but I know it's used so flippant in society. It's become a, a text message acronym now in life, but I feel like we should be going around all the time saying, oh, my God, I cannot believe I'm saved. Like, I cannot believe that Jesus took the wrath so I could have the peace. That, that Jesus took my sins so I could have forgiveness. That Jesus took the shackles so I could have freedom. That Jesus took death so I could have life. Like, oh my God, we are saved. We have eternal life in Jesus Christ. Can you believe that? Like, it's unfathomable that the untamable, uncontrollable force that is Jesus Christ, this wonderful counselor, would be my saving king. Incredible what he's done. There's a great old hymn called Amazing Grace. Some of you know it. That author, John Newton, wrote another hymn that we I've never sung, but I saw the words to it this week, and I thought I'd share a verse. It says this be gone unbelief. My Savior is near, and for my relief will surely appear. By prayer, let me wrestle, and he will perform. With Christ in the vessel, I smile at the storm. Friends, what can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus? Can death? No. Do not be afraid. Smile at death. Can financial ruin? No. Do not be afraid. Can relational hardship? No. Nothing can take Jesus out of your boat. Nothing. Can demons? No. Can angels? No. Nothing can take Jesus out of your boat, and nothing can take you out of the palm of his hand. That's how great God's grip is on you, friend. So we focus on Jesus when the storms are around us. Stay focused on this uncontrollable force. Don't try to set the agenda Don't make it an if or as long as thing. It's God, nevertheless, thy will be done thing. And then we recognize not only an uncontrollable force, but a wonderful counselor, tender and close, speaking words of encouragement and peace to you, an unstoppable force who comes in gentleness towards you. And not just that, at the fundamental root level, he's your savior. He's your rescuer. He's your deliverer.